Well, hi, and welcome back to Out of Curiosity, a podcast where we are seeking biblical clarity for modern questions. I am Garland. And I'm Nick. And uh, the question we're going to be looking at now, it, it comes from the book of Exodus, and it actually draws some major theological questions out uh, beyond the story in Exodus, but it, it has to do with the hardening, we're told, of Pharaoh's heart. And so in the story of the Israelites in Egypt in slavery, the let my people go story, the Pharaoh, we're told, we have a, a very interesting theological conundrum going on with his heart. And so to sort that out, the Nick Rowland, help us out here. Oh, the Nick Rowland. Yes, huh? oh, and this is a podcast you. looking for clarity. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so the idea of God hardening Pharaoh's heart um, is a big problem for a lot of people as they come across the story. And if I were to frame the the challenge that people feel, uh, we have, I think rightly so, a heart of compassion that wants to see anyone have the chance to turn. Um, and and relent. And so, aside from the whole issue of judgment, and and that that is another topic for another episode. But granted that God will judge sinners, our our next question that we struggle with is yes, but we want everyone to have a chance at repentance. So the idea that somebody would possibly even want to repent, but God would harden their heart so that they cannot. Um, is one of the most difficult things for us to, to come to terms with and, and accept. And, and it seems like that's what's happening with Pharaoh. And so we need to, to try to come to grips with this, to try to understand what's going on here, because in a sense, it feels like it's putting the very goodness of God uh, on, on the table, on, on the, the judgment mat. So, Garland, would you start with us where we begin this text in Exodus chapter 4, uh, verse 21. Yes, and so contextually, Moses has a he's he's grown up in Egypt. Uh, he was in the the high class of Egypt. He killed a dude, and then he got exiled. So he's been spending a generation wandering out in the wilderness. And then uh, Yahweh shows up. This God of Israel shows up and uh, speaks to him and tells him to go back to Egypt and set his people free. And we pick that story up in Exodus four verse twenty one. Yahweh said to Moses, "When you return to Egypt." See that you perform before, before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Wow. There it is. So it, it seems like on the first reading, if, if we just read this at a surface level, it seems like God is saying, I am going to make Pharaoh unable to make a good choice. Okay. And this seems like it's taking away from any level of agency on Pharaoh's part. And what's going to end up happening is Pharaoh is going to suffer some pretty intense consequences for his choices. And so it seems like as we read this, that God is making the choice for Pharaoh and then causing Pharaoh to suffer the consequences of that, Okay, which seems horribly unfair. It's, it doesn't seem fair. Yeah. Okay. So we need to to dive in and see there's a little more going on here than than uh, than it seems so on the surface. The, the first thing we need to talk about is what this word harden means. Okay. Now, there are actually three Hebrew words that get used throughout the course of this discussion, but the primary one, and the one here in Exodus 4 where God says what he intends to do, is the word hazak. Hazak. Yeah, it's a great little word. And what it means is to make strong, to strengthen, to firm up. Um, and then what God says is, I'm going to strengthen or firm up Pharaoh's heart. I'm going to harden him. I'm going to make him obstinate. So the first question we have to ask, in our picture, we seem to think of Pharaoh as this neutral person who could go either way um, in his response to the Lord. 
Maybe he'll respond in, in, in obedience and faith. Maybe he'll rebel. And, it, and we tend to think, oh, no, no, God's going to push him towards rebellion. And then he's going to suffer the consequence. Mm-hmm. As we read the narrative, that's not at all what happens. In fact, um, I have a list here of every time this concept of Pharaoh's heart gets hardened comes up. And I'm just going to read them f- to you. Um, so in, in 421, God says, I will harden his heart. 7-3, God says again, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. But the first time it actually happens is 7.13. And in 7.13, it says, Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord said. There's no indication here that God is reaching in and hardening Pharaoh's heart. Um, 7.14, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. 7.22, Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. 8.15, Pharaoh saw there was relief, and he hardened his heart. So let's look at, we got to get in some grammar here. Yep. In our first instance, God, it is Yahweh the subject uh-huh. with an active verb, the active or passive, you want to make sense of active or passive? Yeah, so active means that there is an agent uh, doing the action to something else. Mm-hmm. Passive means the the, the subject is, have, is being acted upon. It's okay. happening to them. So active would be, I hit the ball. Passive would be, the ball hits me. Yeah, and absolutely. So, uh, what the, it seems like in the first one, God says, I will, active verb, yep. harden his heart. But yep. then in chapter 7, all those ones you just read, the 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 it's a passive verb. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, mm-hmm. and it doesn't give us a subject as God. Yeah, so we have we God is not the the active subject in the grammar in these verses. We do not get God as the active subject until chapter 9 verse 12 and it says but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. And that's during the 6th. That's during plague. the 6th plague. So we are a long ways in before we actually get God actively hardening Pharaoh's heart. Okay. So what are we to make if we're actually reading this narrative and making sense? We need to try to look and say what what is Pharaoh's heart's posture, and what is God doing to Pharaoh's heart? And I think a key indicator comes in Exodus chapter five. Okay, so at this point, God has not done any acting on Pharaoh's heart. Can you read um, Exodus five verses one and two? It says this: Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said. This is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is Yahweh that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know Yahweh, and I will not let Israel go. And so this is the posture of Pharaoh's heart at the beginning of this story. Pharaoh is not a neutral actor. Pharaoh is already saying, I don't need to listen to Yahweh. Now, why would Pharaoh make that claim? Pharaoh, as king of Egypt, sees himself as a god. Right. And so Pharaoh is is in his court, seeing himself as God, and Moses comes and says, Yahweh, the real God, has a command for you. And Pharaoh says, I don't listen to him. Mm -hmm. I don't take orders from any other gods. The thought is, I am God. And so in in the face of this, Moses is going to say, okay, I'm going to give you some object lessons to show you who Yahweh is, and Pharaoh is going to harden himself. He's going to harden himself. He's going to harden himself. He is going to stand obstinately against Yahweh and his demands on Pharaoh's obedience. And then, halfway through these plagues, Yahweh is going to step in and harden Pharaoh's heart. Mm -hmm. Why? 
Why does Yahweh do that is the question we have to wrestle with. There's nothing in this story that suggests that Pharaoh is ready to put his faith in Yahweh and experience deliverance, and God prevents that from happening. I'm dying to let him go. If only Yahweh would let me. But Yahweh actually gives his purpose in these plagues, and he says, it is so that they might know that I am the Lord. They, God wants to put his, his majesty, his glory on display to a people who think their king is God. Right. To a king who claims himself to be God. Right. And so what it seems like is happening is Pharaoh has a level to which he has the strength to withstand these judgments. He's ready to let Egypt suffer for his own glory of calling himself God. Okay. And then halfway through the plagues, Pharaoh's resolve seems to start crack. It seems like it's going to crack. But God's not done showing his glory yet. Right. And so I think a better way to understand what God is doing here is not making I, I not making a willing to repent person unable to repent. Rather, he's making a weak person a little bit stronger so he can last out the whole judgment. Mm-hmm. The metaphor I imagine is this. Imagine Muhammad Ali or some amazing boxer, and there's a young kid who's talking trash and says, hey, I can go through all the rounds with you, Ali. Come on, let's fight. And Ali comes out there and lands one punch, and the kid drops to the floor. And Ali says, hey, we've got more boxing to do. Come on. And he stands the kid back up and says, let's go another round. And the kid goes, okay. And Ali comes and punches him again, knocks him down. He goes, nope, we got more to go. Stand up, kid. Come on. Come on, get your strength ready. You said you're going to go all the rounds with me. Let's go. Keep Keep mm-hmm, coming. Mm-hmm. To show how ridiculous this kid's boasting was. Mm -hmm. And it seems like what God is doing is Pharaoh did not have the strength of character, the strength of resolve to stay in the fight with Yahweh for all 10 rounds. Mm -hmm. Yahweh had 10 rounds of plagues to bring. Pharaoh didn't have the guts to stay in there. Mm -hmm. And so it seems like when God strengthens Pharaoh's heart, he's not pushing Pharaoh a direction he wasn't inclined to go. He's actually strengthening Pharaoh long enough for Pharaoh to stay in the fight to for God to make his point. And it's probably worth noting that Pharaoh, up to this point in the Bible, he's the worst character we've encountered. Absolutely. Uh, he's, in, he's, he's enslaving people. We have genocide being committed. Uh, he's de- declared himself to be a god. He is acting completely against the things of Yahweh. And so for, for as, we, as we approach this text, it's, we're not, nothing in the text is saying, he desperately wants to to worship Yahweh. Not at all. There's no indication of repentance in Pharaoh. And there is no place that I'm aware of in the entire Bible where somebody wants to repent and God says, no, I will not let you turn to me. Um, I, I know of nowhere where a person calls upon the name of the Lord in faith and God prevents them from doing so. Right. And so... I think the way to read this story is not of God preventing Pharaoh of having the chance of repenting. I think what we have is somebody bent on rebellion and God strengthening their resolve long enough for him to get all 10 plagues in to make his point. So I see how it's helpful. Where you kind of walked us through the narr- how the narrative presents this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, God says, I will hazak his heart. And then Pharaoh, his heart is hazaked throughout. And then it even says Pharaoh hazaked his heart. Yes. Then finally, we get God coming in and saying, now I'm hazaking his heart. Now, here's the question. The theological question is this. Mm-hmm. What do we do? And I'll put you on a spot. What do we do 
with the fact that before this story takes place, I think I think the way you line that out is really helpful and instructive because as we see that progression, it doesn't seem like God huzzocks anything until the sixth plague. Right. Yet the note beforehand, God says this is going to happen. Yes. This brings the question of God's sovereignty or God's providence versus human responsibility or freedom and what do you make of this? Because this is, I think, really where the question arises as people ask it is, what do I do with this? Because God said it was going to happen. Yep. Yeah, Pharaoh's got some, maybe some culpability, but God said it was going to happen. So doesn't that, mean, yeah. doesn't that mean Pharaoh had no choice or Pharaoh was not responsible? Sort that out for us. Paul returns to this story in Romans chapter 9. By the way, for our listeners, when Garland says, I'm going to put you on the spot, what that means is he didn't tell me beforehand he was going to ask that question. So he's really, he's got a big old smile on his face right now. He's really happy with this moment. He's got a huge smile, but I am enjoying myself. It's a smirk. It's a smirk. (laughs) Romans chapter nine, verse 14. Garland, you read uh, Romans chapter nine, verses 14 through, uh, let's go through 24, 14 to 24. Settle in. NIV. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you? A human being to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the object of his wrath? Prepare for destruction. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us, whom he also called not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. This is one of the weightiest passages in the entire Bible. Yeah, even reading it, I got a little bit nervous. Oh, I mean, it, it, it is heavy. Paul poses the hypothetical question, what if? And I think it's really interesting that he poses a what if here. He doesn't assert it. He doesn't say it. But he is, it seems like, stepping into an area that he says, this is, this is the, the sovereign counsel of God that we're not given access to. And Paul poses the question, what if God chose to raise up certain beings who all along were going to be nothing but objects of of his wrath, prepared for destruction, made for judgment? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory even more beautiful to those of us who did receive mercy and who were prepared for glory, even us who were called? He's saying, what if God, like a potter, made some people and their own only destiny was judgment and others whose destiny was mercy. What if he did that? Now notice, I think this is fascinating. Paul does not say that God did do that. What he says is, oh, human being, even if that is what we find out happened, we have no place to talk back to God. We, every single one of us, those who will receive wrath and those of us who will receive mercy are all guilty of rebellion and sin. So it only depends on God's mercy. None of us is entitled to demand forgiveness. None of us is entitled to demand mercy and grace. 
We are all in debt to God. So how dare we make demands on this sovereign God? Would it be just for some reason my mind went here? Is this is this uh, does this clarify anything at all? If we say if we look even in his hypothetical, mm-hmm. the concept of wrath because I think this is tying a bow for me, and you tell me if if you would agree. This concept of wrath, we have to go all the way back to chapter 1 to get our picture of what the wrath of God is. And in chapter 1, Paul says, the wrath of God is currently being revealed from heaven. And then he describes what that looks like. People have hardened their hearts against God. They They have rejected the creator and are serving the creation. And as such, God, his wrath looks like, he said, I'm going to strengthen you in that. He hands them over. Hand you over he that. hands them over. He hands them over. And so also here, it seems like it's similar to this picture of Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, you, you want to, you want to be obstinate to me? You want to make yourself a God? Have at it. This yep. is the rightful consequence of that, your judgment. Absolutely. What, what Paul I think is doing in Romans is he's flipping our starting point. Our temptation is to go with the starting point of humans are basically deserving of good things. We deserve all of God's blessings. We deserve all. And if God is going to judge someone, he has to prove to us that he's got grounds to do it. And Paul actually says, no, no, no. God gave humans everything. He blessed us with all we need, and we rejected him. We exchanged the glory of the creator for created things, and we are all of us deserving of his wrath. Mm -hmm. The question we should ponder is not how could God judge it's how could God forgive mm-hmm. that he shows mercy to any is astounding. And so while I can't answer the great questions of God's sovereignty and human agency and how all that fits together, what I can say is we should stand in awe of the mercy of God that he would forgive and show grace to some. Well, this has been a, a whirlwind looking at all this <laughs> and it's been uh, it's clarified some things for me. And so thank you for helping us out there, Nick. And thank you for listening to out of curiosity. Thank you for listening to Out of Curiosity as we discussed what does it mean that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. We encourage you to look into this more in Out of Curiosity, episode 33. If you want to send in a question or contact us, go to oocuriosity.com and follow us on Instagram at oocuriosity. Be sure to subscribe to keep up with future episodes.